Hey everybody, before we get started, I want to tell you about our presenting sponsor today, DraftKings. The long wait, it's finally over. The golf's first major of the year is this weekend. And golf might be the number one sport to bet on. You can bet on every single hole. It's a lot of fun. And to celebrate the golf's first major, DraftKings Sportsbook is offering special odds and promotions all weekend long. And all new users get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Every day of the tournament, DraftKings Sportsbook is boosting your profits by 30%. This is not a joke. 30%. All you have to do is opt-in and place a bet. Head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including player props, play-by-play -play action, and every hole-by-hole -hole live betting. As football season is clear in our sights, DraftKings Sportsbooks has rolled out a season-long football pick'em pool with $2 million in prizes up for grabs. Make your picks and watch the games unfold. Plus, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So here you go. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right. Sportsbook is going all out with a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Just enter pro promo code DNVR when you sign up. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Bo uh, deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash uh, sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. What is up, everybody, and welcome into the DNVR Nuggets podcast, Notebook Edition. It's been a while since we've had one of these. A Notebook Edition. I'm solo today, your host, Adam Mades, and I'm going to be taking you through my notes on Denver's first game against the Miami Heat, a deep dive, and it'll also act as a companion piece, as always, to the list. A nice film study deep dive for DNVR members that you can check out on thednvr.com. And I want to address, before we get into it, you know, we've been doing, for the last four months here on this podcast, the DNVR Nuggets podcast, we have been doing a different style of show, the DNBA show, which is one type of episode of the DNVR Nuggets podcast. And while a lot of people have really enjoyed those episodes, they're very casual. They've been about a wide range of topics. We've really let our hair down, put our uh, sandals up on the table or whatever. And it's been a different pace. And while a lot of people have enjoyed it, I know not everybody has. Some people have missed this version of the podcast, which is a much more detailed, thoughtful, and nuanced discussion about the Denver Nuggets. Don't worry. These are not going away. In fact, they're coming back, is, is how we should put it. The last four months, there hasn't been sports to talk about. There haven't been actual X's and O's and serious sort of um, topics of conversation on a day-in, day-out basis. But going forward, what you can expect um, with this show is after games – Immediately after games, we will have the Winner's Lounge or Loser's Lounge live from the DNVR studios, and we'll discuss the game, our instant reactions. It'll be a mixture of both analysis and some casual stuff. We're going to have fun, but also try to break down and talk about the topics that arise from each game. And then the following day, there'll be a notebook episode of, of this show um, talking about the you know, some of the X's and O's and maybe some of the things you didn't miss and some of the more nuanced pieces of it. Uh, we'll also have some interviews mixed in here every now and then. Um, and as well, a big surprise that's coming up that will be announced tomorrow. I'm so tempted to tell you right now, but I think it's going to be one of the your favorite episodes of this show that we do. Um, so keep your eye out for that. It should be announced on Monday morning. Let's just say it's going to be similar to the notebook, similar to the list, but with a very exciting and special surprise that you're going to enjoy. But without further, so I just wanted to address that because I know, you know, we've gotten some 
mixed reviews. Some people have really enjoyed the DNBA, but I know, you know, on iTunes recently, there's been some people that said, hey, I, I really hope you guys are going to get back to some of the serious discussion. And here we are. I wanted just to let everybody kind of know what to expect. Without further ado, I want to break down now the Denver Nuggets, their game against the Miami Heat, lose 125-105 in what I consider to be a not surprising event, um, you know, knowing how shorthanded the Denver Nuggets were and just knowing what they were up against, how little practice, I figured they were going to lose, they did lose, and when it happens, you still kind of, you know, there's still certain things that really drive you nuts, or at least if you're like me, that really drive you nuts, um, as well as some things to be encouraged about. Where I want to begin with this one, um, when we go through the notebooks, we're just going to go kind of line by line in order of things that I have written down here. And my first note was just that this was a, this was a very rough start for Michael Porter Jr. Um, it was a tough, a tough start for the entire Denver Nuggets team. But you know, the last time Michael Porter Jr. started was argue, you know, one of his better games, I believe, against the Sacramento Kings. Um, he was uh, he really popped off the screen. Um, he gets this start, and I thought he looked, you know a lot less focused and missed a couple. Some of this was he just missed a couple shots early. He missed a defensive assignment on one of the first plays. His first catch, he wasn't ready for the shot, and he ends up traveling. I mean, he actually almost double traveled on one play. Um, and then he misses a layup, then a wide open three. So in the first two minutes, Michael Porter Jr. had an opportunity to have five, seven, eight points if he was just a little bit more locked in. Maybe he's a little nervous. I mean, a lot of these guys are rusty. Uh, but I thought he blew what was a great opportunity. And as is often the case with all players, but I think it's especially true of young players, if you don't get that hot start, you don't get that good start early, you know, you start to get a little bit shaky and you wonder where you fit in. I thought it was interesting that Michael Porter, um, his media availability last week, talked about how this year he was all, right now he's all about being aggressive and he doesn't have to worry about fitting in. He knows the team needs him to be aggressive and so he, he was playing a little bit more freely. Well, I thought that he played freely in those first two minutes. It didn't go well and the rest of the game he was kind of passing up opportunities or just kind of out of rhythm. He looked a little bit out of sorts. So um, clearly he still is getting comfortable. And I think one of Malone's biggest challenges with, my, with uh, Michael Porter Jr. right now is going to be balancing going – you know, uh, being really hard on him and trying to develop that discipline with being really encouraging to him in a in a sincere and earnest way. You know, people can tell when you're just trying to gas them up or you're trying to like, okay, hey, just trying to hype you because I don't really believe in you, but I'm trying to get something out of you. Malone has to really balance the genuine feeling of I want this guy to succeed and, and want him to have confidence. And I want, even though Michael Porter Jr., I think, can can – he plays almost with a little bit of cockiness to kind of foster that cockiness and that confidence while also working on the discipline. And that's a really, really tough ask. Um, so, so he had a tough start. Um, and it, it was very clear, I thought, from watching this game that the Nuggets had such such little time to prepare five on five. I mean, so many of the things they did were so deliberate. And there was almost nothing crisp either offensively or defensively about what was happening. It, it seemed like the Nuggets needed to give 110% effort just to be able to have sort of adequate execution on both ends of the court. So any dip in effort... If you only had it, you know, every player, if you play 36 minutes in a game, you're going to have a lot of possessions where you're given 100%. You're going to have something you give 80%. Well, every one where any player on the Nuggets wasn't all the way up at 100%, the, the mistakes really compounded because you could just tell they weren't very crisp. Um, 
I thought Torrey Craig was the opposite of Michael Porter early on. He started great, knocked down some shots, um, made some winning plays, and, and really, in, in a lot of ways, kept the Nuggets in it when they got off to that really, really ragged start. I'm really intrigued, actually. You're going to be surprised by this, but I'm intrigued by Torrey Craig at the two. Um, I think that, you know, he's kind of a long boy. He's got that athleticism. He's got the length. And I, I think that if you place a player like Michael Porter Jr. at the three and Jamal Murray at the one, two very dynamic and, and uh, impressive scorers, I think Torrey Craig kind of can be like a longer Gary Harris. I mean, if you think about it, Gary Harris hasn't exactly shot the leather off the ball or ran the pick and roll to perfection this year. Torrey Craig, I think, adds a little bit extra length and some athleticism that I, I'm intrigued. I think it could work. I'm not a big fan of Torrey Craig at the three. I think you forfeit some of the few tools that actually make him um, so valuable. But at the starting at the two, I kind of like it. Jokic's hands were so impressive in this game. It actually was, if you look at the bright spot, there were actually a lot of bright spots. Every time you watch it live, I think you you think, oh, God, the sky's falling, this or that. You watch it back a second time, and, and you start to see all the little things. You say, okay, there's stuff to build on. One of them, Jokic's hands, just they're always impressive, but he probably had... Um, you know, I don't know how many official deflections according to Synergy, but he just had so many plays where he got a hand on a rebound or a pass or um, just something that corralled, corralled a play, corralled the ball in a way that you thought nine times out of ten or nine guys out of ten in the NBA would have fumbled that one. His hands are just so impressive. And then I thought Mason Plumlee gave some great energy for the team and, and hit the offensive glass well. I mentioned in my article, I previewed the season for Mason Plumlee, and I talked about how offensive rebounding is probably going to be his most important trade on the Nuggets because that's the, the thing that he can bring to the table that um, you know can really help that second unit. He had two offensive rebounds in this one and a couple more just hustle plays right off of the bat. So I, I liked what I saw out of him. But also, you know, here's the interesting thing is Michael Malone, and he talked about this after the game, he so values, or as he puts it, attracted to guys who really – give great effort at all times and um, play with toughness and whatnot. And Mason Plumley, you know, the Nuggets just don't have a lot of guys naturally like that. Jamal Murray plays hard. Um, Michael Porter Jr., I mean, we're going to talk about him later on, but he's he's a bit more of a finesse and smooth player, you know, talent player, not necessarily always a going all out player. Jokic, same thing. Um, Jeremy Grant, while, you know, athletic, he he's not a guy that you, I think of as like, oh man, the intensity off of that guy, you know, a Montrez Harrell type or, you know, one of Marcus Smart or something like that. Um, so the Nuggets don't have a lot. Mason Plumley is one of them. And so when he, the Nuggets really sort of need that from him because I think he can elevate the team in that regard. And I think that's one of the reasons that Michael Malone loves playing him, um, and, and kind of loves his, his sort of role on the team. Take a quick break here, guys, to remind you, not tell you, but remind you about my favorite brewery, Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer of DNVR. And remember, supporting our partners during this very crazy time is really important to us because it also helps us stay uh, running. The farmhouse is open, so if you want a restaurant, if you're trying to check out places where you can have outdoor seating in a beautiful sort of setting far enough away from people that you don't have to worry, you know, so responsibly socially distanced, check them out. They've got great food, great burgers, great wings. If you're more comfortable at home, you can order curbside pickup from 12 to 8 p.m. And then also the Mile High Copper Lager and the 15, you can get that in the 15 cans or the 15 can sampler with a variety of beers. Many people are calling those the Jokic Packs. They're incredible. Um, and then you can get it delivered to your door with the Drizzly app. You know, you can order delicious food, whatever. Avalanche beer, Colorado Core, Hot Peak, Strawberry Sky. I'm on a Mountain Beach kick. It's now my favorite beer. Every time I'm at the DNVR bar, the Mountain Beach is the one that I get. Um, so you can try, if you haven't tried that one out, try it out. If you like sours, I like sours. Hours. Not everybody does. Um, 
or you can use the Breck Beer Locator. Google the Breck Beer Locator. Doesn't matter what state you're in or what part of the world you're in, you can check it out and see if they have a liquor store or restaurant that has Breck breweries on tap. And it's a really, really cool thing. You might discover a cool restaurant or a cool uh, liquor store somewhere uh, near your neighborhood that you never knew existed. I also want to tell you about WGT Golf. Download the app. We talk about this and we joke about it all the time on the on the show. But I actually, WGT is, is a lot of fun. I don't play video games. It's, I'm kind of famous for not doing this. WGT, what I like about it, it's on your phone. You're sitting down. You have to wait for a bus. So you have to wait for you know something for five, ten minutes. You log on there. You play against somebody in the DNBR world. You might not know them, but you just know somebody. You can play somebody in your clubhouse or you can play a random stranger in just one hole of golf on, on there. And it's a lot of fun. Um, the courses are very realistic. Uh, it's got all kinds of cool stuff on there. You can upgrade your clubs. You can do all kinds of different things. And every week, we here at DNBR do a tournament, and it's just another thing that brings the community together. It's fun because now you can start to see the people who are consistently at the top. Now that we've had like 10 or 15 of these, you can see who's at the top. You see which you can you can beat me and then talk trash to me or lose to me and then get me to talk trash to you. So um, download WGT. It's another way for you just to kind of be connected to the DNBR family, and it's a it's an awful lot of fun. Bobol got the start in the second. And it's sort of ironic that it was against the Heat. That was the team that drafted him, if you recall. So it's kind of cool that his NBA debut lost in all of this is that this is actually Bull Bull's NBA debut, a big moment for him. I almost feel bad for him because you think about it, if you were drafted, if you were a player like him, a top 10 you know, high school recruit, sometimes people thought number one, all this hype around you, and the things go the way that they have, and now you're forced to make this debut. There's no family around. There's nobody there to kind of talk to after the game and kind of share that moment with. He gets his NBA debut, and he goes back to his hotel. As There's something sad about that, if we're being completely honest. But nonetheless, I'm happy that he got an opportunity to play. And to be honest with you, he played pretty well. He immediately scored. And not just immediately scored. He scored off of a uh, an assist from Michael Porter Jr. It was kind of a cool moment. One of those one of those neat moments for the Nuggets where you're like, oh, man, that's right. There's this, these other two young guys that could end up being really integral part of the, uh, the future. And you get a lineup um, in the second corner that has uh, Daniels, Michael Porter Jr. at shooting guard, Bull Bull at small forward, Mason Plumley and Jokic. So right away we got to see Jokic, Bull Bull, and, Plum, and, and Michael Porter Jr. It gives me hope that in Monday night's game against the Oklahoma City Thunder, we might see um, the Murray added to that list, and you get all four players. Of course, today, media availability, Michael Malone said there could be a surprise tomorrow, but that all of those players are, as he put it, very questionable. So... Who knows? Maybe the Nuggets will continue to be without guards. But nonetheless, it was cool to kind of get at least a tiny sort of taste of what, what it could look like. Um, and these are, you know, there's always tough choices with Malone. So you get Daniels out there. He's not a point guard. Michael Porter Jr., not a point guard. Bull Bull, of course not. So that means Plumlee and Jokic were your primary ball handlers in that moment. I mean, to, to the fact that Denver was as good as they were in the second quarter, um, outscoring Miami in the quarter, um, it, it's kind of cool, 31 to 28 in that corner. It's kind of cool given that they weren't even playing point guards for, for large portions of it, um, but they managed to survive. Just so many tough choices for Mike Malone. But that lineup that I just mentioned, you know, it's a form of the long boy lineup, and it was really, I have a clip up on the list about this, about how Michael Porter Jr. gets beat off the dribble, but Jokic is in the paint to kind of help off, and then Bull Bull sinks to, to, to help, and then they kick out all the way across the court where 
Most guys are not tall enough to go from the painted area to the corner and contest a, a pass and contest a shot there. But Bobo's so long, he doesn't even, he takes like one step and he's, he puts his arm, his arms are so long that he discourages the, the shooter, I think it was Jay Crowder, from taking the shot. This, it, it, you have to see this clip. It's up on the DNVR on the list for members, but you have to see it because to me, it's the most encouraging thing um, about just the direction of Denver. I really sincerely believe you put these long boys out there, all these tall players out there you're going to um cover so much ground that the margin for error increases so much and i have great examples on the list today about that including one that I'm, I'm referencing right here in this moment um daniels had this nice rub screen action with Jokic. this is also up on the list um it was the inverted 5-1 pick and roll that we always talk about that murray and Jokic have gotten so good at only it wasn't just the typical spread okay murray runs over and sets the screen daniels who i think is most shooters especially shooting guards they they're masters of off ball movement. That's there's a lot of guys that can stand still and shoot, but guys that learn all the little nuances of of how to trick your defender to getting off balance or out of position. That's really what makes guys like a JJ Redick, for example. So you know, when you watch JJ Redick, you always think, how did he get open? Or Steph Curry, how did that guy get open? He's the best shooter ever alive, or whatever. Well, Daniels has some of this in him as well, in that he's just very crafty with disguising when he's going to screen, disguise, disguising when he's going to cut. And he had a nice little rub action with Jokic that uh, resulted in Jokic picking up a shooting foul and going to the line. So um, it really, really nice to see. My biggest offensive complaint, I would say, in this game was that Nikola Jokic did not dominate Jimmy Butler the way that he needed to. And that's it's really discouraging to me because... One of the things about Jokic, if Denver is going to succeed with him as their best player, he is, has to punish other superstars who are not centers. And Miami was bold enough to say, all right, Jimmy Butler, you go guard Jokic. And he did a great job because Jokic didn't want to attack him. I have a great example of this up on the list where he catches the ball, actually two examples, where he catches the ball and immediately just kind of throws a pass away. And actually he holds it for a few seconds and then throws the pass out. When you, it, it, I think Jokic's mentality in these those moments, if he has a guy that's smaller than him physically, you want to force the defense to overreact, not just react to you, but overreact to you, right? You have a mouse in the house. The defense is already like, well, we better help if if he starts to go, we're gonna have to help. Jokic likes to hold the ball, survey the court, go slow, maybe take a couple dribbles, back down. I'd love to see him when he feels a smaller defender on him. I'd love to see him catch the ball and go right away, force that defense to panic. And Jokic is so good, he's going to be able to read the, the the rotations and everything faster than everybody else. But he just wasn't – he didn't seem very motivated to do that when Jimmy Butler was guarding him for whatever reason. Um, and when you talk about teams like Houston, a very real possibility for him to match up against – or the Nuggets to match up against. Uh, even the Clippers who like to play long but but small. You know, Montrez Harrell is, is a big, but he's not – He's five inches shorter, six inches shorter than Jokic. They might try to have Kawhi Leonard even guard him or, or Paul George. He's got to really put them on their heels there, not play that slow down ISO post-up game um, that he's kind of become a little, in my opinion, over the last two years or so, he's kind of slowly become a little too comfortable doing that when I think he's better going quick. Um, and he just has to be dominant. Um, he got a lot more aggressive in the second, and he just seems more comfortable going at Bam Adebayo. Weirdly enough, Bam's a great defender and, and taller and you know, more athletic, but Jokic really, I think, was comfortable going at Bam. Um, he also got caught between pick-and-roll defenses a few times, and I put this one up on the list. This is one of the better clips, I think, um, that really highlight when we talk about defenses not being crisp with the shortened sort of training camp. 
little things. I hear people talk a lot about the you know do the Nuggets play drop or do they play up on screens? They play all varieties of pick and roll defense depending on who's on offense, who's on defense guarding the screens, what the circumstances are. Is it a side pick and roll? Is it a pick and roll going to the sidelines? Is it going towards the center of the court? Denver has a lot of different sort of rules. But one of the things that you can't do is you can't get caught in no man's land, which is neither dropping nor showing. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jokic had this a couple times. Jeremy Grant had this a couple times where you're trying to read multiple actions at once and then you say, oh, now it's a pick and roll that I need to defend it. And you got to step up high enough that the defender can't sort of eke his way into the paint and place his defender in jail and just kind of and just kind of like inch his way towards the paint. But you also can't step up so high that it allows for an easy pocket pass. So a couple times I thought Jokic and Jeremy Grant in particular both got caught in that middle zone where you allow the point guard to turn the corner and get into the paint, but then you have to pick your poison between stepping up to stop that or giving up the lob. And um, if you if you allow them into the painted area, if you allow the point guard the ball into the painted area, you significantly increase your odds of screwing up that read. And I, the Nuggets just had a lot of those examples, and there's some great examples on the list that kind of really highlight what, what that looks like. Um, and then I, I just have on here, I like Grant being willing to handle the ball. I really hope somebody works with Jeremy Grant to erase his negative dribble. That's the one thing about him. He almost always takes one dribble, usually with his right hand, nowhere. It's just he'll catch the ball, and instead of immediately tacking his defender, he immediately dribbles one time in place and then attacks his defender. And sometimes it works because he's very slippery. He's so skinny and he's so long that, you know, he doesn't have to beat you by a lot to then, like, extend that lead once he gets past you. But I think he would beat a lot more players on the ball or off of the dribble if he just kind of um, worked on catching the ball with the proper footwork so that he's catching it into his first step. Um, there's some players that are really, Manu Ginobili was a master of this. If you think about the ball, if you think about Manu's game, a ball would come from the right wing to the left wing to catch him, right? So a swing pass from one side of the court to the other, and he would sort of catch it on the run. He would be standing still, but as soon as he saw the pass coming to him, he would run towards the pass so that by the time the pass arrived at him, he was in a sprint that he could now dribble and, and attack. Jeremy Grant needs to learn this one. He almost always catches it flat-footed, takes that negative dribble, and then goes. And to me, the, one, of, one of the number one things that could change take Jeremy Grant from being a good sort of low-usage role player to a guy that actually generates a lot of offense for the Nuggets because he's able to get to the rim, he can finish, he can shoot. If he can work on that fundamental, that footwork fundamental, I think it'll really improve his game. Another quick break here to tell you about one of our OGs, Green Mountain Dental Group up in Lakewood. They've got the best damn family-owned dentist in the metro area, and they're extreme Colorado sports fans, including people that listen to this very show, Denver Nuggets fans. So shout out to everybody at Green Mountain Dental listening right now. Our sales director, uh, Lindsay Sauer, just had her wisdom teeth removed at Green Mountain Dental, and she's a little crazy, but she said it was literally the best dentist experience of her life. I have no idea how that happens. You get wisdom teeth removed and you say it was like a great experience, but it was, and I even, I can verify this because we even talked to her that day and she was great. Um, just really, really cool dentist and, and Colorado owned. You schedule a cleaning, you guys know the new drill here. Cleaning, x-ray, and exam, you'll receive a free Sonicare toothbrush and you got to tweet at us when you go there. It's really, really cool. If you're looking for a dentist, um, I highly recommend Green Mountain Dental. If you have one and you're, you're not so sure about them, they're okay, they're not great, find one that's great. You deserve the best. If you're going to, if you're going to have this insurance or you're going to pay for it, you might as well go to the very best. 
that's Green Mountain Dental Group. Also want to tell you about another one of our, our OG Strava Craft Coffee. You can now subscribe and save 20% with a Strava Craft Coffee subscription. We know a bunch of you guys have taken advantage of this of this code, so uh, this one-time code. Um, so you're going to want to the code, by the way, DNVR20 to save 20%. Um, but it's a really, really cool service they have. Another cool thing that they have, we had a keg of, I don't know if it was an actual keg. We had a keg, actually, I think it was a keg. We had a, we had, a, we had Strava Craft on tap at the at the bar for the Denver Nuggets watch party and it's still there. So if you're at the NVR and you've always wanted to try Strava Craft, give them a try. You can try out the CBD infused coffee. That's really, really cool. And then of course, go and listen to the DNBR Biz Podcast with the uh, the he- the jefe, the head honcho, Brandon Spano. He had uh, the founder of Strava Craft on his show the other week, and it was a really, really fascinating discussion. So check them out. Cool partner, Colorado owned. You're not going to regret it. Final segment here, and I'm on the notes now, entering the third quarter where things, the wheels really started to fall off for Denver. I mean, the whole game came down, in my opinion, it came down to like a three-minute stretch in the third quarter. But the number one thing I have here, Torrey Craig, he's... Torrey Craig, yeah, everybody knows. I'm not a Torrey Craig hater, but there are some things about his game that drive me nuts. He does... He... He... Um, he does, repeatedly does some of my biggest pet peeves, and one of them... You know, there's two ways of sort of looking at, bas- at, at defense. One is... Force a team into their least favorite or most uncomfortable slash low percentage options. I think that's the right way to approach defense most of the time. The other is try to hit the home run, the steal, the block shot, um, you know, the big play, the force turnover, whatever it is. Oftentimes, you know, you can do both in a game. You have to pick your moments. You have to know wins win. But there was the, the play where Torrey Craig got called for not being vertical. Um, I think it was Bam Adebayo driving to the basket. Torrey Craig, great position for help side. Jumps up, goes straight up and down. Great. I think Bam Adebayo double clutches. He's clearly going to throw up a hopeless prayer of a brick. But then right at the last second, Torrey Craig thinks, ooh, I could also block him. And so he swipes down and tries to get the block, and he gets a foul. You turned a possession that was probably had a 5% chance of generating points for the Miami Heat, maybe 10%, into two free throws for a good free throw shooter. It, it's those type of plays and that sort of lack of discipline that drives me nuts with Torrey Craig because he does so many things so well, but he often sort of like at the last second we'll do something really dumb that, that ruins it all. And that was a, such a perfect example of it. The video's up on the list. I even slowed it down and zoomed it in so you can really tell kind of what happened. Um, it, it, just those frustrating plays. And he's not the only one. He's highlighted in this. But there's a lot of Nuggets players that do those, um, you know, you almost had it and you blew it at the end trying to, trying to make it even better. Jokic throwing fade routes to tall cutters. This is the future of basketball. It's the future of Denver Nuggets basketball, in my opinion. He had two back-to-back... Beautiful backdoor cuts to Michael Porter Jr. that he wasn't even open for either of them. But because Michael Porter Jr. is 6'11 and has a really quick jump, he, in addition to jumping really high, he has a quick jump. He's so good at sort of, um, you know, catching fade routes. Like, you know, throwing a fade route to uh, Chad Johnson or Randy Moss, right? Better even Randy Moss, where he's just so fast and so tall that if he beats you by a quarter step, you're throwing it, you're bombing it because you know you're not going to catch up and you know you're not going to be able to outjump him. Jokic does it. They just need to get the ball popping more so that there's more opportunities for that. I'm telling you, if Denver, once Denver works bowl bowl and Michael Porter Jr. into the offense, if they can just get the ball popping a little bit, just a little bit of movement and force the defense to make two, more than one read per time down court, Jokic is going to have so many easy assists to those guys. It's going to be a nightmare. Nobody's going to be able to defend him. And seeing the clips, and these are up on the list as well, 
you you can't help but foam at the mouth. It's it's it, it's perfect. It's Denver really does have Montana and Rice, you know. Um, that now they just got to put the rest of the pieces together to make sure they can and, and bring those guys along. There's a play on the list as well: the Jimmy Butler steal. The Nuggets right now just too predictable on offense. Monte Morris, as steady as he has been running the second unit in years past. Um, did not do a very good job, in my opinion, at all at getting Denver into their offense. And Jimmy Butler was able to sort of read one of their base plays, the strong pin-down um, play, read it perfectly, kind of shot the gap and got a wide-open wide layup. Missed the layup, and then Bam Adebayo finished it with a dunk. But um, just just one of those things where Monte Morris should be better than that. He's a little rusty himself. Michael Porter Jr., so here's where the wheels come off. Michael Porter Jr. gets pulled from the game. He completely dies on a screen. And it was a bad one. Like, I have this on the list, and I think I'm going to talk about it actually quite a bit over the next couple days, but he just runs right into the, the screen. He doesn't try to go under it. He doesn't try to go over it. He just literally runs to it and stops, gives up a wide-open three. The Nuggets were up five, and in a span of a couple plays, they're now down five. And Michael Malone calls a timeout, pulls him out. Now, I'm not sure if that would have been – he would have gotten pulled out no matter what the circumstance, if he would have been pulled out either way. But he goes, uh, he gets pulled out in that moment, and you can see Malone's furious. They're not on the same page. Michael Porter Jr. himself is furious. It's one of those moments of, of real tension between those two that um, Michael Malone's going to have his hands full. Because I'll tell you right now, the Nuggets have to have Michael Porter Jr. become a player. The tough love approach, I, I trust Michael Malone. He's done such a great job of this on everybody besides Yusef Nurkic, who, by the way, is a great player that the Nuggets really could have used on their team. But he, uh, but with my that that moment you pull Michael Porter Jr out they immediately give up an enormous run and the game was over by the time Michael Porter Jr checked back in the game was out of hand so um 67 72 heat 7 minutes left in the third and Michael Malone goes to PJ Dozier Tory Craig so PJ Dozier not a shooter Tory Craig not a shooter Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap high percentage shooters but not the type of guys that are going to spread the court and then Jokic they score, actually. Torrey Craig gets an offensive rebound put back. They score. Next possession down, I think Jokic hits a three. So they score right away, and you think, okay, they're right back in this thing. I think it was 74-72 at that moment with like six and a half minutes to go. I don't think they scored again for four minutes, or, or they, they scored two or three points that, over that entire stretch, and it was tough to watch. A def and, and on the other end of the court, miscommunications left and right. Um, the, the defense, you put in that lineup, you think, okay, we're going to have, at the very least, Denver's going to have great defense. It wasn't. They were giving up points, and especially three-point shots, almost every single possession. And on the other end of the court, you weren't even getting good looks. It wasn't that they weren't scoring. It's that they weren't really close to scoring. They weren't generating shots that you felt good about, like, oh, okay, make or miss league or whatever. They were getting bad shots on clunky offense and turnovers that led to fast breaks every single possession. Maloney also put in Mason Plumley and Monte Morris in that, or you know, to try to stop the bleeding. But by that point, Miami had gotten too comfortable, and the lead had ballooned from going down five to up twenty-five in just the blink of an eye. And I, I'm a big believer in this. But with sports, there's pivot points that determine the game. There's no question that was the pivot point. That the benching of Michael Porter Jr. And again, I'm not trying to say this is Michael Malone's fault. My, Michael Porter Jr. died on a screen that gave up a three. But that. Failure, that moment, changed the entire game and really solidified it. There was no coming back once that, that sort of watershed moment had happened. And um, it, it was really, really tough to watch. Uh, Millsap and Dozier both um, 
both kind of helped on one guy, gave up an open three. I have, I think I have that one on the list. Craig, I definitely have this one on the list. Craig, Tori Craig and Nikola Jokic, they both switch on, on what wasn't even a screen. It was sort of a ball screen, but it, there was no contact. It was very lazy. Tori Craig and Jokic, neither one communicate. They both switch off of Duncan Robinson, who with, is so surprised, he just shoots a wide open three and drains it. Um, these are the types of – Malone talked about this in, in – in, cited it as the number one reason that the Nuggets struggled was just a failure to communicate. Not necessarily that they didn't know what to do, but that they didn't talk to each other. And you compound that by the fact that there's nobody in these arenas. There's no fans. So how, you know, communication should be extra easy because you can actually hear everybody, unlike in a game when there's a loud crowd noise. So um, really, really disappointing. And when you watch those on the list, you, you'll see it. You'll think, oh, my God, these are really, really bad. The offense got stagnant. They were hunting switches, which is something that I think Denver has done more of over the last two or three years than in previous years. And I think it's one of the reasons the ball no longer ever gets popping is as soon as you get one of those switches, you know, it's slow it down, try to throw it into the post to yoke. And they just weren't getting any kind of good looks out of that. And the Heat were just killing it uh, on their offensive end, including with some double high screen action that I might break down later on in the week. Um, garbage time in the fourth quarter. I thought Bull Bull really shined. That full court bounce pass that he had, it reminded me of Vanderbilt's pass. If you remember Vanderbilt's NBA debut, um, he had that nice running full court bounce pass. Bull Bull had one just like that. It was so good that I think Jeff Van Gundy like screamed. Uh, at the screen, he got so excited about it and then became a bull bull stand talking about he had a great line that said, I don't know what the question is, but the answer is bull bull. Um, bull bull in garbage time really looked like an NBA player. And that's so encouraging because we saw it in the G League and you think, OK, it's the G League. We saw it in the scrimmages and you think, OK, it's the scrimmages to actually do it in the fourth quarter against a real team that had already been giving the Denver Nuggets problems. To me, it was so encouraging. Um, I think bull bull's a player. I hope we see more of him uh, as guys continue to come back. I think there's a role for him on this team. I, I was thinking about this the other day, but the Nuggets, you take four months off, and then you go into the season, and there's this idea of, okay, let's go back to the rotation that we had. But you never think that in an offseason, from one season to the next, you don't think, well, we'll just go back to last year's. You reevaluate everything. Why not reevaluate who are your 10 guys that give you the best chance, and is Bull Bull a part of that? At least try to find that out over these eight games. I hope so, because there might be a role for Bull Bull. And part of this is nobody knows Bull Bull's game. There's no scouting report on him. So if you can go into a playoff series with a guy that nobody quite knows what to expect, you might steal a game or two just based on, oh, we didn't know he could do that. Um, so I, I'm very intrigued by Bull Bull. Every day I get a little bit more intrigued. Jeremy Grant had a few great straight line drives. Um, he still, you know, I talked about that neutral or negative dribble. Michael Porter Jr. Had, oh man, this was a tough one to watch. Nuggets are down 25 points. Michael Porter Jr. has a play where he turns it over late, and it was just it was like he had given up. There was two only two minutes left, but it was like he had given up. Michael Malone calls a timeout, and he actually takes Michael Porter Jr. out of the game. I think his intention was to play him through the end of the game and just say, okay, here's some minutes. Try to get into rhythm. Try to get some confidence or whatever. But the play was so egregiously lazy and sort of like, you know, he, you could just tell that he had given in that Coach Malone called a timeout, stopped the game, and just said, we can't have this happen. And um, I, I, I got to say, every, you've listened to this show. You've read my work 
You, all season long, is even over the last couple weeks, you know I am driving the Michael Porter Jr. train. I think he is an incredible player. I think he has a chance to be the best player on the Nuggets roster, and you know what a Jokic guy I am. You know what that means. That means that he can be a top 10 player in this league. But I was so greatly disappointed by his performance in this game. Not just the missed shots, but sort of how he handled that. I thought he had a great start to the game. I thought he had a, uh, yeah, or in, in terms of the block shot and the hustle, his, his you know, uh, some some of the stuff on the offensive end, obviously not great, but he 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 looked like okay. If my shot's not there, I can contribute in other ways. But as the game went on, I don't know if it was being yelled at, I don't know if it was moping or or what. But as the game went on, I just was so disappointed in sort of how he competed in it, and and um, it was really difficult to see. To get out of here, this is the last note I have. Um, we now have the, obviously with DraftKings as one of our major partners here. We're we are going to have to award a king of the game every single game uh, going forward. And unfortunately, since Denver lost this one, I can't give the king of the game to a Denver Nuggets player. I don't think anybody it, you know, was a king. Sometimes in a loss you could say, you know, valiant effort, I'll give it to this guy or that guy. But I don't think there was any Nuggets players that I look at and say, oh yeah, they deserve that. So my king of the game, if I had to, I have to go to the other side of the, of the uh, court and, and kind of say it was Duncan Robinson, who I thought when he was on the court, Denver's defense was the most out of sorts. You talk about... What did Denver struggle with, according to myself, but also according to the head coach, Michael Malone, it was communication on defense. It was talking through things. Well, Duncan Robinson is one of those players that moves around so many screens. He goes from left to right. He's just always moving. And players that move like that and can shoot like that require elite um, concentration and communication. And the Nuggets didn't have that. And it resulted in Duncan, Rob Duncan Robinson being a team high plus 28. He was 5 of 9 shooting. He had 17 points. Just incredibly efficient. And I felt like when he was on the court, the Nuggets were scrambling and breaking down. That's it for today's guys, episode, notebook episode of the podcast. Don't forget to check out the companion piece, The List. Become a DNVR member if you're not already. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. These video breakdowns are great, and we have some other really cool stuff going up on the site um, that I'll be announcing tomorrow that I think you're going to get really excited for. Um, but we're back. As much as there's a lot of negative notes in this one, Denver being as shorthanded as they were, and having only two practices really under their belt before they got into this, you know, there's there's the reason for hope. They were up at the half against a very good team. There's reason to hope that Monday's game against the Oklahoma City Thunder um, will see a better version of the Denver Nuggets, certainly a better version of Michael Porter. And if you do that, you know, we can, you start to feel good about the Nuggets once again. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.